This is the soundtrack series. This is the soundtrack series. I'm Dana Rossi. On this episode, I talk to Academy Award nominated producer for the documentary What Happened, Miss Simone, Amy Hobby. And she tells me about what went into making such an incredible film about Nina Simone, what she learned and what we could all stand to learn from Nina and how important it was to let Nina tell the story of Nina. But first, just because a little anecdote about Charlie Kaufman. So last night mm-hmm. in L.A., I had a long, um, strange conversation with Charlie Kaufman at the, wow. at the after party. He was, I was like, why aren't you a New Yorker? I don't understand why you live in L.A. You seem like such a cool and interesting yeah. person. And he's like, yeah, I would move to New York, but my wife wants to move somewhere rural. And then we... This is the 30 Rock thing. Remember the rural juror? Oh, the rural juror. Rural juror. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, rural's a re- weird word. It's hard to say. He's like, yeah, rural, rural juror. And I was like, yeah, rural yeah. juror. There's <laughs> a like going on about that. Yeah, he gets it. Yeah. Yeah, Charlie Kaufman's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What, what goes on at the uh, Academy luncheon? Is that just kind of introducing everybody that's even I mean yeah, so the every nomination. nominee gets invited and you go on the red carpet and you have your picture taken with the head of the academy mm-hmm. and um, they tell you about the show too and it's like this is what we're you know welcome this is what we're gonna do you so know, it's kind of like a production some, meeting a fish, in a way production meeting <laughs> fish luncheon there's a lot of alcohol yeah and uh then they do the class photo which is online did you see it no oh i have to see that i mean did they just say everybody get together and then you just sort no, of do that they or they're like you what here because they have to identify everyone yeah i mean most of those people you can identify but you know uh best documentary short those people yeah. are, I'm, i don't know who the guy's the guy on my left was the producer of Inside Out. He was at oh. my table. Super nice guy. Um, I met a lot of people. You know, that's that was the fun part. I actually was in a room where I could have conversations with these people. Yeah. Like norm like normal conversations. You're a peer. Yeah. Hi. They're yeah. my peers now. Yes. <laughs> so they call you up one at a time. So and they did it not alphabetically or by category. So it was by table in the room. Okay. Which took me a minute to figure out because I was fretting. They called my director up. She's up there, Liz Garbus. Okay, yeah. And she they called her and then all of these people and all these people. And then so I, I thought at that point, well, maybe I don't get to I I'm nominated. Maybe I don't get to go in the picture. <laughs> maybe I maybe I made a mistake. Do I get to <laughs> And then they called my name. Right. Yeah. And they're like, Amy Hobby. I was like, yay. <laughs> and I, I felt I'm a pretty self-deprecating, easygoing kind of gal. And I felt really proud and very happy. So yeah, that was a good feeling. I think even the most cynical person who's like, well, I don't believe in awards, you know. Would, the work will speak for itself. Yeah. All that stuff. I mean, I if do believe all that stuff. in this situation, would feel enchanted. Yeah. Like just, yeah, yeah it's true. 
So how did you come to work on What Happened, Miss Simone? Um, I worked before with Liz Garbus, the director. Okay. We really got along. Uh, the first time I met her, I had signed on to do a film and I was miserable. And I'm not a quitter, but I hated these people so much. And I told Joe, I said, Joe, I, you know, it was a lucrative job. I was right. like, Joe, I just, I think I'm going to quit. It's not good financially, but I just don't want to work with these people. Yeah. I'm not, I'm going to, you know, you make a film and you're on it for a year, two years, three years yeah. you know, with all the publicity. So I quit. And then uh, two days later, I got a phone call that um, Liz Garbus was looking for a producer for Love, Maryland, the Marilyn Monroe documentary oh, yeah, for yeah, HBO. Yeah. And she wanted someone who had both narrative and documentary experience. I met her the next day. We got along amazingly well. And uh, I started working with her on that. And it was a great experience. Women working with women. Yeah. Cool. I love that. And uh, we're both very hard workers, very focused, and um, know how to have a good time. Yeah. And the project turned out well. And, you know, we went our separate ways, as you do. And I formed my company for women directors i did other things and she called me up one day and i i literally was saying i don't think i'm going to do docs anymore uh my company tangerine only works with scripted features she called me up and said i'm i'm going to do this doc about nina simone are you interested and i said i don't i'm gonna do any more docs she's like well look at some footage look at this i'll, yeah. I'll send you something i'm like okay okay and how so, long ago was that like that she was just like i'm thinking of doing this documentary it went very fast for documentaries. Okay. So two and a half years ago. Wow. Fast. Yeah. I looked at the foot. I looked at some footage. It's the Montreux footage, which now opens the movie. The, yeah. That ni- it was 1976. Right? 1976. Okay. She, mm-hmm. She'd returned from Liberia. It was her first performance. You look at her face and, and I was going to clean up the house and watch some of the footage and think about it. And I put that on and I just sat on the couch and was holy crap yeah i i want to know more about this woman how did she get to this place yeah how did she get here and unpeeling those layers would be amazing and then joe came home and of course he's a musician yeah husband and he's like of course you have to do this I movie know. and i was like oh <laughs> oh man of course i have to do it did you know anything about nina simone going in i knew next to nothing yeah it's like i like some of her songs that's it right so it was a long and fascinating journey. We did something uh, that I've never done on a film before. We started the research four months before we shot a frame or uh, opened up the edit room. Okay. So we just were looking at archival, reading stuff, reaching out to people, mm-hmm. finding tapes, Liz is great at pushing, and once I'm like given a task, I'm like a dog with a bone. Yeah, and she's like, "There are these three books published on her. People, mu- they must have kept some of them. Must have kept those micro cassettes." Yeah. Oh, so that's what those that's what those audio interviews are. Yeah. Oh wow. Three of them are she she tried to write autobiographies over the course of many years, mm-hmm. three times, uh, two failed, one succeeded, and we tracked down all three authors, and all three of them had. Micro cassettes. 
The final one was the Stephen Cleary who published the book. Okay. And he lives in France. He lives in the Pyrenees in a, in a town called Poe. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't find them. He didn't know where they were. We kept pestering him. And on New Year's Day, he, he emailed us and said, Happy New Year. I found the tapes. There's like 40 hours. He didn't want to send them to us, whatever. So Joe McGinty and I got on a plane to Poe, France with Joe McGinty's Pro Tools on his laptop and and a couple of micro cassette players just back up on back up. And we sat in a, Stephen Cleary got us a house and we sat in this small town. Uh, It sounds romantic, but it was cold and rainy. And for 10 hours a day, we transferred tapes of Nina Simone. Yeah. And some of the audio was horrible. Like they would play backgammon while they were interviewed, while he was interviewing her because it <laughs> relaxed her. Yeah. It like operated part of her brain. And huh. she, she was then able to, you know, talk freely. And uh, sometimes they were in a restaurant. And we got to know her very, very well in our mini house, stone walled, freezing cold house in Poe. Yeah. And, but it was really the crux of discovering. Uh, Nina's voice for her o- own film. And after yeah. we got those tapes, Liz had the revelation that this we need to tell it from her story as mm-hmm. much as possible. I mean, we knew from the start we weren't going to interview Bono or you know, yeah. like do that thing. We're like, she was a great artist. I was say, this is, no, it, we we weren't a fan of that style of filmmaking. So we cho- but we did need to fill in holes. So we chose to keep it to only people who knew her or in one or two instances had had seen her and like you know had that uh real connection to her yeah i love the musician who had played with her since the beginning al uh, shackman yeah who i mean he saw so many phases of her he's a great guy uh we spent uh quite a bit of time wooing him to do that interview (laughs) really he 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 was a little tough and then finally he said, well, if you fly me to Paris, we can do the interview in Paris, and that would be fun, uh, and then I can see all the old, the other guys, who are all, some of whom were also interviewed. We all met in Paris and did these interviews. Yeah. And, and Al was uh, like, fly, fly me to Paris, and we'll, we'll do the interview. You know, uh, <laughs> But he's actually a really good guy and so thoughtful, and he's a good guy. I mean, he seemed to be, and maybe I misread this completely, but somebody that was a little stabilizing for her you know, especially as she started to feel like things were spiraling out of control in her personal life. He is a rock. Like even hanging out with him. Yeah. You know, at Sundance or whatever, he's he's very calming. Yeah. He's assured. He's like a cowboy. He's not uh, complicated in a you know emotional way, though he is complicated in other ways. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> he's a band leader, you know, he's, uh, he defends his band, you know, you know, great. You flew me to Paris. Where's my per diem? That's okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But uh, I can see how that relationship was lasted so long. Yeah. And as, as he would say, you know, I'm the only one I, d- I didn't sleep with her. So <laughs> the relationship lasted that long. Kind of stayed so preserved. Stayed preserved yeah. and the respect stayed there and. Yeah. You know how I feel. River running free. You know how I feel. Blossom on the tree.
once you start to focus in on one subject on a documentary, uh, you just really, you're eating, sleeping, and breathing that person. And then you start to form your own relationship with that person. There are days you probably resent that person. There are days you are delighted by that person and surprised. I mean, what was the, the arc of your relationship with Nina Simone as you worked on her story? That's a good question. I don't think I ever hated her. I She's a complex woman. Mm-hmm. There were days I just gr- more and more... That my empathy for her grew mm-hmm. every day. I would say, as a woman, as a yeah. as a complex woman, as a as someone who works in the film business, as a Southerner, mm-hmm. you know, my dad's from Savannah, Georgia. Georgia. She grew up in the South. That sense of being proper, which upset her when people didn't listen, sit and listen to her play. And oh there was yeah, like manners. That sense of manners. My aunt. That's in the Montro footage. Then too. The sit, Montreux, down. sit down. Sit down. Sit down. down. But it's because she thought people were, they should sit and listen to her. Yes. She was there performing and it was not polite. You know, I grew up, uh, my Aunt Bobo, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> she, we called her Miss Manners. She would, if you didn't use your fork right, if you weren't polite or didn't say thank you and do all of that, it, you got, ha- there was hell to pay. Yeah. So, uh, I understood that. Mm-hmm. I had that empathy and understanding for her. And um, it was really just this increased arc of respect and understanding. And then the the humor, which there's even a lot more humor that's not in the documentary. That oh, yeah? for me is the only thing that like I, f- I wish uh, the film was long enough, but I, I wish that there was even more of that sense of humor. Because, like- you know... Uh, I would, this was a joke that was played. There were jokes that the band played on her that she finally got in on and uh-huh. would laugh. But she had this just crazy, fun, wacky sense of humor. Like in that last, one of my favorite things in the, well, I, there are many favorite things in the movie. But one of my favorite things is at the end where she's playing um, uh, My Baby Just Cares For Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, that's at Montreux 1986. And she's actually wearing a bathing suit. I don't know if you noticed that. I did notice that. Where and she's I kind of thought, Busendorfer. what are you wearing? Yes, and I noticed the Busendorfer because of, I'm a big Tori Amos fan. And I was like, she's playing a Tori piano. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Nina loved to swim. They would have to tear away from the pool wherever she would go. And I, when we got all the photos from her daughter, uh, the archive, I was going through them. And there were, there were, she learned to scuba dive. She didn't swim. She didn't learn to swim until she was in her 20s. Wow. She didn't swim growing up. She learned at the YMCA in Harlem, and her her husband taught her to swim. And then later, she loved swimming so much. Polaroids of her in snorkel gear. Like, I swear, oh, like wow. scuba, scuba diving. And so at the end where she's wearing that bathing suit, I just imagine her, them saying like, Nina, grabbing her from the pool. Nina, Nina, you have to play now. And her just putting that wrap on, playing. Ten minutes, Nina. Like, and then she's like, and then right, she's like, up. She walks up and says, good night, everyone. And like, she's off to the pool. Yes. Like Like when Aretha Franklin showed up on stage at the Kennedy Center Honors, that she had her purse. Like she just kind of had the car running. Yeah. She's going to come on stage. Stage And walk off. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you perform your whole life and that's, you know. uh, So there there are things like that that I uh, loved. And there's some funny stories that didn't make it in. And it's in a way a documentary musical, right? So Mm -hmm. we let the songs play a very long time Mm -hmm. and be part of telling her story. So there just wasn't room. Yeah. More, like yeah, something's got to go, you know, as it is, we 
couldn't include Four Women, which was a, a great song of hers mm-hmm. that we loved. And the the footage we were trying to license was incredibly problematic. So it, and something had to go. So we're like, okay, that's going to go. That was the only thing that legally was tough to include that we had to lose. Everything else yeah. we wanted or Liz wanted, we got. But what made that What made that tougher to license than anything else? Uh, the filmmakers were trying to make their own film and they wanted to have never seen before oh. or rarely seen footage. So they were holding on to that archive along with um, other performers. It took six months to convince them to let us use a little piece. It's also where she's saying the poem I want to smash white things. Yes. You know, the when she's very political, it was from that same concert. Okay. And so they let us use the poem, but they held back the song. So we, we were, ultimately it was okay because the movie had to, you know, be a watchable length. And right. there was so much Nina. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Nina. Is the story that you set out to present the story you wound up presenting? Or did you learn more as you were doing it that that the direction started to turn? The process of a documentary is always like, it's always like Mm -hmm. that. You always take a turn left and right. And I wouldn't say it went one way and took a U-turn. It was, um, the process was one of a more general story to a more personal story. So we, it kept getting honed in to be from her point of view and understanding mm-hmm. who she was, using the songs only in a way, you know, a lot of the songs she didn't write, they were covers, but she covered them in a way that were so personal to her at yeah. that point in her life. So the, the film went from being more omniscient to personal in a gradual way and just figuring out the tools that we we could use, which you know the diaries, yeah. the songs, um, and the audio cassettes were were the were the key. So there was never like so, sometimes you're making a documentary, and something crazy happens, or you make some big discovery, and it's like, oh no, wow, there's a different story. I was producing yeah. a, a documentary about Sam Shepard and uh, and his best friend, the, and, the and, playwright. Yeah, oh. so Shepard and Dark and. They, my director called me one day and said, like, Sam and Johnny had a huge falling out. They're not talking. It's it's really bad for the movie. I'm like, no, it's not. Now we have a movie. <laughs> yeah. <What>? yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and she's like, it took her a while. But then she's like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so there was that documentary a couple of years ago, The Queen of Versailles. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Fantastic Where, yeah, movie. They just set out to just kind of like follow this family around that was building this huge house. And then it completely turned yeah. when the financial collapse happened. Yeah. And it became about something so much more than that. Yeah. So e- either a lot of times you're making a documentary and something happens and yeah. then you're like, yay. <laughs> or um, you discover something in the archival that's like um, hallelujah, wow, you know, light bulb moment. Yeah. But in, in our case, I mean, one of the things we did discover was the abuse, you know, yeah. like how Andy treated her. We had an inkling, but we didn't want to include it unless we had tangible evidence, you know, because it's like accusing someone without proof. Right. And late in the game, we did find that interview with Andy basically saying... The 2006 
Yeah, okay. the footage and then uh, a corresponding audio interview where he says, um, you know, I smacked her and she was bleeding and we just stitched her up and it was no big deal. You know, so we had him actually talking about copying that. to it yeah so that it's to not it. so yeah. you know like we're not just saying sh- you know he was abusive you know she one point of view she said that we, right. we wanted to have that so once we because there was the incident where he beat her up she uh sought asylum with the, the with, music, al. with yeah. al and then uh he went to get her and said i've been looking for you and she said well you beat me up and he had no recollection no of doing that yeah she he claims that he just was out of his mind uh, blackout drunk or something. Yeah. Yeah, you know, she she was part and parcel to it, too. You know, it's, it goes two right. ways when you're in a relationship like that. Yeah, I, I mean, and she told Dr. King, I'm not nonviolent. Yeah. So, yeah. My baby don't care for shows. My baby don't care for clothes. My baby just cares for me. One thing I was going to say, like, as I was watching it again then, uh, and I know because it's like now I'm bringing up the competition, but I know another documentary up for an Oscar is Amy, yes. the Amy Winehouse movie. And what was interesting to me, just the parallels between the two women and their stories in a way, not more than just them being both musicians, both than just them having their own troubles, mm-hmm. but this fascination we have with women who don't behave Mm-hmm. or women who lose control mm-hmm. and our need to punish them but at the same time we can't look away from them mm-hmm. and almost want them to do to that be a train wreck yeah it's like watching the train wreck yeah, yeah. i mean i because i as i was watching uh what happened miss simone again seeing that too of you know she is becoming more militant she's becoming more seemingly erratic mm-hmm. and yeah. it just being this thing where we we wanted to punish her for that yeah um meaning society at that time by saying well if you're going to sing these songs if you're going to sing about these kinds of things then these venues aren't going to book you and these people aren't going to come to see you yeah well i think also she was talking as much as singing i mean it's it was uh, self-destructive in some way too right yeah so she uh had her own issues she uh yeah the venues became scared to to book her because also she was walking off stage and showing up late and not being professional yeah you know, so there's part of there's that, that too. too. <laughs> there's there, it's 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 both. You know, she she, as Andy said in in his, the husband, as Andy said to his small defense, she wanted to be like these more popular singers, but at the same time, she didn't want to sing those songs or play that game. Right. So you make a choice, mm-hmm. right? And uh, in a way, the civil rights movement, you know, failed in many ways, right? So mm-hmm. she felt that she wasn't useful and and people died and she could she wasn't having an uh, an effect on society when she was in the middle of that group of Dr. King and uh, Betty Shabazz and uh, Lorraine Hansberry and hanging out with all these people and, like building this movement that's very exciting and mm-hmm. and then they all like died or left or fizzled out and imagine the disappointment of that mm-hmm. Ima- imagine that so part of that is how how do you go on what do you sing about you have to regroup, and that—that's when she left the country. She was just like, "I'm out of here." Yeah, yeah. She didn't want to be in a place that she felt was not taking care of her. Yeah, and that was the other thing I was going to say too was uh, when you talked about you're you're working on a documentary, and then something happens, and then it kind of takes on a new direction, or there's a whole new light cast on it. 
I mean, by any chance, was the time, because I'm trying to do the math in my head, was the time you were working on this when uh, yes, Ferguson, Ferguson and Eric Garner and that summer? Absolutely. Yeah. We were in the edit room and watching the footage, the civil rights footage yeah. and then watching the TV. And it was like, wow. You know, and that gave us great empathy for her, too, in that plight and yeah. start had us thinking in a deep way about um, what what is going on in our country and what did go on in our country. Yeah, and what kind of effect did all of this have on today? Yeah. Or was it m more minor than we had thought it was? Yeah. What I, was it like? Were you talking to the Shabazz daughters yeah. at that time as well? And yeah, At Atala and um, Ambassador Shabazz. Yes. And um, she's pretty zen about it. She's like, you know, the, the the times just have to catch up with, you know, it'll keep happening. It'll, you know, we have to keep trying and keep working. There's also a whole thing with, uh, you know, talking about feminism and her, yeah. you know, j journey on on that level for us and for Liz and I looking at her as as a woman, a strong woman mm -hmm. with this career trying to create change with her art. Yeah. You know, so that, uh, you know, and and then now us going through this Oscar campaign where there are so few women. Uh, Liz is one of two women directors nominated. And we think like, wow, how far, you know, it's still that thing. Like how far have we come yeah. since the 60s and the uh, and the feminist movement of the 60s and 70s? You yeah. know, that's why Anne and I started Tangerine, my company, where you're here in the office, yeah. to <laughs> just support and work with women directors and help more directors break through those barriers. Good. Put a spell on you. Cause you One of the questions posed at the end of the movie, you know, was she allowed to be herself? Yeah. To truly be herself. And yeah. I thought, was she? Or is any woman? Is it's any black woman? Yeah, it's a question. I, it's for, I don't know who to answer, but it's a question. I mean, do you feel you can always be yourself? No. Oh, oh, yeah. No. Oh, no. No chance. I don't either. I, I struggle with it all the time. Having to always, it's like if I want to say a certain thing, I, I go to the most direct way of saying it. Yeah. But then knowing well, that I have New to Yorkers put it through. Well, yes. Also, there's that. <laughs> but <laughs> having to put it through the filter where I couch it in something nice and I'm polite and I don't mean to bother you. I'm in, I, I, I often very self-deprecating instead of getting to the point. I think it also is a New York thing. Mm -hmm. We go to LA and pitch and sometimes we're making a joke about something when, or like I'll say like, oh yeah, you know, and I was nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> and, and I say it sort of jokingly and self-deprecatingly, whereas maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should wield that a little differently or yeah, and I think about that all the time. The other day I was on a conference call and I was very mean and direct because these guys were just trying to bully us on the phone yeah. over this deal. And I was just in that frame of mind where I'm just sick of it. And I, don't, I don't really need to do that film. I don't care. And so How I'm many times like, were they asking you if you understood what they were saying? Yeah, you oh understand. My God. Or, do you understand? Or your production company doesn't have that precedent or... You know, what was that credit really? You know, and then I was like, I don't care. This is what we want. And I was just, you know, balls to the walls. And I got off the phone and uh, my business partner was like, wow, 
And I was like, was I too mean? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 don't ruin it by asking. <laughs> Let it sit. I was actually Enjoy really it. good. I was like who I should be. Yeah. And, and, and uh, every day should be. Uh, that I was just like uh, question, immediately questioning myself. You know, I was like smart, direct. I stood up for what we wanted. Yeah. I was willing to walk away. I didn't listen to their crap. And then I, that was like, oh, should I have done that? Well, I mean, ah. has, has getting this close to Nina Simone and what she was like and how unapologetic she was, I mean, has that helped you a little bit to kind of go, yeah. oh, I'm going to be a little more like this. Yeah, have a little swagger. Yeah. You know? Have a little swagger. But she, you know, she she got knocked down hard because of it. You know, so that is in the back of my mind, too. You know, well, maybe I'll just that, get like knocked down. I'll have to go live in Liberia. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that threat of always like we'll somehow be punished. If we are ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm a little Miss Smarty Pants or like, you know, also when I was a kid, oh, little Miss Smarty Pants, know it all. You know? <laughs> and yeah. Or too bossy. Too bossy. Because nobody else things. can get their shit together. And am yeah. I the only person here who knows yeah. how to, you know, tell everybody we're going to do this the and then we're going to do this. in Hollywood when we're out there pitching, you know, because New York's a pretty small film community. We know each other. Everyone is a little self-deprecating. We're in New York for a reason. Yeah. We are all pretty happy with our stations in life and our companies. But in L.A., where you have to go improve yourself all of a sudden. That's when it all, like, comes in. Like, what should I wear uh, to that meeting? Oh. Should I look more like a, I don't want to look to this or to that, you know? That's when it comes into play. Those insecurities come into play. Yeah, I couldn't do L.A. <laughs> I just couldn't. And, and some days I'd, like, ace it. But it's in, then you question it. It's like, I'll be like kill kill like yeah <laughs> awesome and then i'll go home you know or, or like oh yuck i feel yucky oh, <laughs> like kind of smarmy and or yeah. just like that's not me that's be, not me yeah. yeah and this is the other thing too is that as i was watching uh, nina was saying what she wanted to say she was asking audiences like if they were ready to kill white people if necessary and doing these controversial things and i thought and she gets punished for that but, you know, I feel like more often men are rewarded for doing something controversial because that's seen as rebellious, it's seen as edgy. Cutting it's edge. It's seen as, yeah, yeah changing, They're ahead of their change. time, yeah. not something that's a threat. And she was ahead of her time. Yeah. And, yeah, she was punished for it. The whole, working on the film was engaging because of that. We, you know, as a woman uh, exploring this great woman's ups and downs uh, her pol politicalness as both a woman and as a black woman, mm -hmm. her fashion sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love her fashion sense. There were so many incredible photos. You know, even when she was shabby in her oh. down days in Paris, she still had a fur coat on. Yeah. Underneath it, a bathing suit. A bathing to suit. To just take off and go yeah. swimming at go any swimming time. Go swimming at any time. One of the things that stuck out in the movie, too, especially when you know where it goes and you know where she goes, yeah. that she played on the on Playboy Penthouse. Yeah. And, yeah, sitting there and with Hugh Hefner, white, male, probably the epitome of everything that she would have been against, Yeah, you know, just a few years later. Yeah. Uh, I just thought that was so interesting to see that up against then. The, well, the early doing. days, you know, she was yeah. trying to make it and she wanted to um, cross over. And a lot of her audiences when she was starting out were all white. Mm -hmm. Even when she was playing jazz and piano um, in New York. After mm -hmm. she was in New York, she uh, played to almost all white audiences. 
uh, there were it wasn't until the late 60s that she started to play with play to more um, mixed and black audiences mm-hmm. what know? drew liz to her initially and was she ever or were you ever concerned just especially with er- how everything is very tense right now racially and and all of that that you know you were white women taking on the story of this black woman and this woman who you know had become very militant in the the civil rights movement and and just engrossed in that uh i mean did that ever make you feel uncomfortable or like oh do well, we are we okay I say uncomfortable but we were incredibly sensitive to it right uh one of our producers is african-american jason mm-hmm. jackson and he uh came to the project with nina's daughter okay yeah you know, who's a who was an executive producer she left us alone but look we could always t- turn to them and ask questions about point of view or um feel things out i would say you know we we did approach it as a woman and as being an outsider yeah. woman and i think liz c- couldn't have been a better choice for it not just because of her amazing filmmaking ability yeah and you know look she made films about bobby fisher she's not mm-hmm. you know jewish or crazy or a chess player right. you know so <laughs> it oh, doesn't no. have to be but I just meant because yeah. things are so well, sensitive right now and about you know who owns you know certain things and who has a right to to say to give their yeah, opinion well, about beyonce and what beyonce did at the well, of super course, bowl of course we talk about it yeah and, and we've embraced that in a way by saying join us and talk this conversation and talking about it it's not just it's it's nina's point of view you know we're trying to infuse it from nina's point of view as much as possible it's not liz garbus's point of view right which is what i loved about that was kind of like you are just sort of these sorceresses just kind of like moving this story along for everybody but keeping it really as her telling her story yeah it's like not liz telling you who nina simone is it's nina telling you who nina simone is and i think that was a very important decision early on very important liz is incredibly bright her father uh, martin garbus is one of the top uh first amendment lawyers in the country oh offended lenny bruce and so she grew up in a family that understands civil rights and politics and all that she's she's very um savvy and aware and uh intelligent on those uh issues in particular yeah so well it came through yeah it really (laughs) did don't try to blow out the sound for me, baby. I'm not asking for what I know. Okay, so this is the part that's one song. So I lived in L.A. When I first got out of college, I lived in L.A. and I worked on films as a camera assistant. Uh, I was there four and a half years. It was probably a low point for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't enjoy being in L.A. I was in um, a lot of bad relationships, but I had a lot of friends, and I seemed to be working on films, and all was good, but also terrible, and it was the loneliest time in my life. And I didn't have an anthem or song at the time that could encapsulate that until um, three years ago, Joe, my now husband, played me this album by the band Love. Um, It's called Forever Changes. And there's a song in particular called Alone Again Or. And when I heard that song, my entire whole last year in L.A. just flashed before my eyes. And so now whenever I hear that song, Alone Again Or by Love, 
it just summarizes for me my time in LA. The the loneliness, the superficialness, and the the orchestration of the song. Everything just to me says that horrible lonely time in LA. <laughs> it's not a happy song. When I first when he first played that album, then I just kept playing it over and over again because I was trying to relive and remember that time and under understand what I had gone through. I was right? gonna say, why would you want to relive a time though? Why would you want that song to help you relive a time that to learn from that. Yeah. To learn and understand what makes you lonely, what makes you happy and not happy. That's the truth of it. It's good to sometimes look back at that and yeah. understand who you were then and move on. Awesome. And it worked. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Good. Amy Hobby, filmmaker, producer, Oscar nominee <laughs> for what happened, Miss Simone. Thank you so, so much. That's that's me. Thanks. This has been the Soundtrack Series. Thanks for listening. <laughs>